Another wonderful Lord has spared our lives to be able to be here this morning. We're so thankful for your presence with us. We're so glad to see you and so thankful for all, so many others that are visiting with us. We're glad that you're with us as well. And uh, it's always wonderful to have you in our presence. And those that are watching online, of course, we're always thankful for you and glad that you could be with us as well. You might be here visiting with us and have decided you wanted to place membership. Well, we look forward to that time that we can get together to, to, for you to get to know us and us to get to know you and that we'll uh, do what we can to help you along those lines of coming and working with us here in this community as we preach and practice New Testament Christianity in this community. A big thank you to Mark Bernhardt for last Sunday taking my place for the class and also the worship hour and also for David Jones and preaching for me that night and taking my place as well and then Brother Van Stewart and taking my place on Wednesday night as we traveled to Tennessee to be with family and it's always good to be back home and always good to be back with you. I missed you. I hope you missed me. But uh, it's always good to be back home. There's no place like home, and there's no bed that sleeps better than your own, right? So good to be back home. Don't you love the fresh-faced enthusiasm and the confidence of a boy or a girl who had just joined either the Little League baseball team or the soccer team? They haven't even played their first game. They haven't even made the home run or the goal, but they want to sleep in their uniform. Though inexperienced, they believe that there's no ball that can get by them, that every hit by them would be a home run, and that every solid kick would be the goal that would bring the team the victory that they wanted to win. David was a fresh face just like that here in 1 Samuel 17. He was the youngest of his brothers, the runt, the shepherd who tended his father's sheep, and yet he was called a man after God's own heart. His father was concerned about David's brothers. And so he sent David to give food to his brothers as they fought against the Philistines. And as he approached that battle scene, he saw the Israelites standing opposite of the Philistines with a dried up riverbank between them. And there stood that Philistine champion, Goliath from Gath, of nine feet, nine inches tall, who taunted and challenged the Israelites to send someone, just anyone, who could be a champion to fight against me, he says. David was not impressed with Goliath as the others seemed to be impressed. He seems to him as being really an obstacle to the glory of God. They see Goliath as being the end of their lives if they were to go down to face him. And you know how this story develops where Goliath ends up as a decapitated giant on the battlefield. And David goes down in the annuals of history as an all-time hero. Not just to the Jewish people in his time, 
but also to all the people in every time where everyone loves to hear this event of David and Goliath. And so against all odds, David had faith even to face a giant. But you know, we face giants too, don't we? Very much so. They may seem 10, ten feet tall to us. It is not likely that you will have to face a real giant in an arena and have to strap on a sword or a shield or face such a one with only a slingshot and stones. But there are giants in our lives that we have to face every day. You might be facing a giant or maybe a couple of giants right now, whatever they might be. It may be a family giant you're facing, something that you have just not been able to overcome or, or what the solution might be to the problem. It might be a financial giant. You might not have enough money to pay the bills and you just don't know where the ends meet. You might be a kind of giant at work where someone is persecuting you. It might be that you might be the only New Testament Christian at your job and you're striving to be faithful and just and righteous to Almighty God. And they're envious of you. And they don't like you. That might be the giant you're facing. Maybe it's an educational giant that you're facing, that there are some hurdles that are keeping you from reaching your goals. Maybe it's a relationship giant. Problems with a child or a spouse or whoever it might be that keeps you up at night and you really don't know what to do and where to go. And how to deal with it. How do we react to those giants that are in our lives? The answer is how we can face the giants in our lives is much like how David faced a real life giant, a real life tall giant to him, but how to face the giant in his life, and that was with faith. His faith. What kind of faith is that? Well, there are three kinds of faith. And David exemplified each one of them. And beginning in verse 26 of our text, we first need a childlike faith. And David spake to the men that stood by him. Now here David is standing among the soldiers who had their armor on and their weapons ready. But David is but a shepherd boy saying... What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 1 Samuel 17, 26. There is never a thought in David's mind that this Philistine wouldn't be defeated. He never thinks that he would never leave the battlefield alive. And the question is that he asks does not have anything to do with how to defeat this giant. He doesn't say does this giant have any vulnerabilities about him? Or what kind of weapons does he use? What kind of weapon do I need against his weapons? He doesn't ask how Goliath had been beaten before. And how was it done if he was beaten he didn't ask for any help in order to beat this giant. What would I get when I beat the giant? 
That's what he's thinking. What is the king going to give to the man who defeats the giant? You see, there's a childlike faith here. Our children live in a much simpler world than we as adults do. There are many things that they do not understand. They have not put all the pieces together to get from point A to point B. But they do believe in the one in whom they trust. That this is the way. To go from point A to point B. And they abide by it. Where did David get this mindset? He was probably raised hearing great stories of God's victory with his people. The parting of the Red Sea and Israel's victory at the walls of Jericho. And it never occurred to David that this pagan could possibly defeat the soldiers of God. We should teach our children that God cannot be defeated in any way. We must believe it in order to teach it as well. A childlike faith takes God at his word. In Acts 27 and verse 25, it says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. In Numbers 23 and verse 19, a fictional story makes a point where a man fell off a cliff in the darkness of the night, and as he was falling, he managed to, to grab a tree limb on the way down. And so he cried out, is anyone up there? Can anyone hear me? And there was a voice that said, I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe me? Yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. Well, that's all right. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. Hmm. A moment of pause, and then, is there anyone else up there? Can, is there anyone else that can hear me? You see, what kind of faith is that? There seems to be a way, lot, a lot more people like that that live in this life. They want the Lord to be there when it comes to trust, to go to the next stage in their lives. But they want it the way they want it. It doesn't work that way. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. He has said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Those are rhetorical questions that supply their own answer. The answer to those questions are obvious in that whatever God said he would do, He's not going to lie. And he's going to do it. I promise you. There's a story about a teacher in the high school. His name was Ron. He, he once taught a class of mentally impaired teenagers. And looking at his students' capabilities rather than their limitations, Ron got, he got them to play chess. He, he got them to restore furniture and, and to repair electrical appliances. But most important, he taught to them to believe in themselves and what they can do. Young Bobby soon proved 
how well he had learned that lesson one day or how he learned that lesson. And one day he brought in a broken toaster to repair. He carried that toaster tucked under one arm and a half loaf of bread under the other. He knew he was going to fix that toaster and we were going to have toast. How wonderful is that? He knew, you know, we can trust in God. The toaster might be broken, but if God has given us the assurance that we can get through this life as his child, then we can bring the loaf of bread right along with us, can't we? That's right. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, 2 Timothy 1.12. That's the kind of faith that God wants us to have. That's the kind of God that you and I serve. He is able, and Paul understood this. The story is told of a group of people in Kansas who after a long drought had came together to pray for rain. As they met, they discovered only one young girl had brought an umbrella with her. What kind of faith was they expecting when they prayed for rain? God has given us assurances that it's going to be as God has said it. It's an interesting poem that faith is dead to doubts, dumb to discouragements, blind to impossibilities, knows nothing but success. Faith lifts up his hand up though the up through the threatening clouds lays holds of him who has all power in heaven and on earth. Faith makes the uplook good, the outlook bright, and the inlook favorable, and the future glorious. Raymond Edmond wrote that. You see, that's the childlike faith. If we're going to trust in God, then we need to trust in God all the way as a child does or else not trusting God at all. You're, you see, simple faith is, is trusting in the Lord. Psalm 31.1 The bulk of our depression, our anxiety, our fear would be greatly reduced if we just grasped the significance of these four words. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. It was the wise men who said, whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he, Proverbs 16, 20. You see the connection between our emotions and our hearts? Faith came singing into my room and other guests took flight. Fear and anxiety, grief and gloom spread out, sped out into the night. I wondered that such peace could be, but faith said gently, don't you see? They really cannot live with it's interesting that the word faith is only found twice in the entire old testament yet the word trust is found 107 times we must put our trust where in the lord because faith is trust and it is a childlike faith in a father like almighty god how should we trust in the Lord? Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. 
There are some places where we can put our trust, but there's no safety there. Read about a woman named Evelyn Moors, who was an experienced mountain climber and had once scaled 14,410 feet to Mount Rainier in, in Washington State. But on April 30th, 1976, she was back home and was given a demonstration and had attached a repelling rope to a drain pipe grading on the roof of the Mark Twain South County Bank. The repelling exercise of going down the side of the bank building would have been routine, but for one miscalculation, the drain pipe grading wasn't anchored. Numerous bank officials and their friends watched as Moors plummeted to her death. Her faith or trust was in that grading, but it was fatally misplaced. So many people today are putting their eternal destiny or fate in, in some unsafe place. There, as he had done, trying, tying the repelling rope to an unsecured drain pipe. One of those places is in humanism. There are more people living by this philosophy than any other. That the man in his own, that the man is his own God. And the goal in life is to have a good time and be happy. But can you believe it? These people are not living for the future, nor thinking about the heaven or even about hell in that regards, but living for the next pleasure or the next escape or the next dollar is what they think will make them happy in the here and now. I call it selfishness. That's fastening to your rope. Eternity to an unsecured drain pipe. Others fasten their eternities to a false religion. What is it that Jesus said in John 14, 6? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is exclusive. He is the way. He is the way, the only way, and the best way. There is no other way. How many does that leave out? He said not a single person is going to get to the Father except through Him. Acts 4 and verse 12 is similar to John 14, 6, when the apostle said that neither is there salvation in any other name, right? For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved, must be saved, he says. No other name has salvation associated to it but Jesus. And so if we are going to be saved, then we need to put our trust in the Lord because there is no salvation anywhere else. If you ever go to the zoo, you might find a, an African impala. And did you know that the African impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet? And they, they can cover a distance of greater than 30 feet? But yet these magnificent creatures can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with a three-foot wall. Amazing. These animals will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will land. Faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. 
You always wanted to know what faith is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith. With faith, we are freed from the flimsy enclosures of life that only fear allows to entrap us. What was it that Paul said? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, Philippians 4.13. Not through my wisdom, my strength, but through Christ, he says. Is he going to be with me every day, every step of the way? Well, that's the promise that he has made, Hebrews 13.5. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus asked this question once. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Luke 18, 8. He's interested in faith, isn't he? He's not so interested in the things that we're interested in, like who won last night's games or, or who might have won the Masters or the horse race or whether the stock market is up or down. What movie star is popular now or what movie we need to see? Or who is the points leader in NASCAR? He's not interested in those things as we are. But what he is interested is in this five-letter word called faith. F-A-I-T-H. Faith. He wants to know about faith on earth and about faith in my life. There are two occasions when Jesus complimented great faith in Matthew's account, and both of them is when he complimented a Gentile, not a Jew. In Matthew 8 and verse 10, he compliments the centurion when his servant was sick. And the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Great faith is complimented. The Syro-Phoenician woman in Matthew 15 and verse 28. Again, her faith is complimented as a great faith because of her daughter being vexed with the devil and the humbleness in which she approached the Lord. He said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. A little faith is not enough to take us all the way to heaven. We have to have much faith. So how can I know if I have a little faith or great faith, as we saw in those two instances in Matthew 8, 10 and Matthew 28? How does our faith measure up to God? Is it seen in worry? Hmm. Matthew 6.30 says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Do I worry too much over the little things? Or maybe it's seen in fear. Matthew 8.26, And he saith unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Am I afraid of the future? Is it seen in doubt? Matthew 14, 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou a little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? My faith is little on God's scale, and so I am prone to doubt. 
Is it seen in wrong thinking? Matthew 16, 8. When Jesus he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. Am I prone to lean on human reasoning and not on divine revelation? It's a sign of little faith. Or is it seen in failure? Matthew 17, 20. Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, he shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. If you have little assurance in God's power, then our faith. Let me ask you a question. I want you to ponder this in your mind about your faith. How great is your faith? Think about that. Could you give a demonstration of your faith? before the angels of God and the people who are in this room today. You see, faith precedes salvation according to God's word. You remember what Jesus said just before he ascended to the Father in heaven, Mark 16, 16? He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned, Mark 16. How great is my faith? But I want you to think, how great is your faith? Do you have enough faith to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Is your faith great enough to realize that you need to make a change in your life? You no longer can live the way that you've been living. You have to repent, turn away from that, make a change in your life that reflects the faith that you believe that Jesus is the, Christ, the Son of the living God. Will that faith also cause you to say, I believe before these witnesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Will your faith also cause you to realize you need to go down into the waters of baptism to have those sins washed away, to have the forgiveness of sins, the remission of sins, and will your faith be strong enough and great to live faithfully from this point on or from the point that you were baptized on to live for him, to give him the glory, the praise, and the honor? I hope that you have that much faith and will be willing to assist you in that. But then we want to ask that question again. How great is your faith as a child of God? Maybe you haven't been living faithfully to the word of God. Maybe you haven't been doing all that you could do to give him the glory the honor. It could be you just need the prayers of the church to strengthen you, to help you, to guide you, to direct you so that you will have the faith to see through those giants that are in your life. We ask that you pray, but you have to repent as a child of God. Repent of those sins. Pray that God will forgive you. And we're here to pray with you and for you. The time is now. We don't know if there's gonna be a tomorrow. We don't know if there's gonna be a next minute. We don't know if there's gonna be a next hour. Or we don't even know if we're gonna come back and hear the rest of this story 
that faith to see through those giants. And I hope you'll come back and be with us. But if you're in need of the gospel, call whatever it might be to become a child of God or be restored back to that first love. We're together, we stand and sing.